2 Kings chapter 2. Before we get into the Word, let us pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to come and stand with this, this group of believers. Father, I don't know that there is a better example of what the body of Christ looks like than what we have right here. Men and women from different backgrounds and different, different places in their lives, different cultures even, Lord, coming together to serve one God and one Jesus Christ. And we are brothers and sisters in you. And I just thank you for that, dear Lord. And I pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit fall upon us and that we hear what you would have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to begin reading in the Second Kings chapter, one, beginning, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We'll read 1 through 5. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elijah said unto him, as the, Lord hath, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth, to Elijah and said to him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto, them, said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me unto Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. Thank you, God, for your holy word. Amen. It looks to me as I read this passage that Elisha has a problem. And the funny thing is that everybody knows it. You see, Elijah here, he is the student Elisha is the novice, he's the learner, he's not the master. Elijah is the master, Elijah is the, the prophet, he's the, the great prophet, the famous prophet, the infamous prophet, depending on what kind of circle you're running, because some people didn't like him very much, Ahab, for example. Elijah is the one that prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Elijah is the one that prayed again and then the rains came. Elijah is the one that prayed before God and called down fire from heaven. Elijah is the one that stood and faced down the 850 prophets of Baal. It's Elijah that is the man. Elijah is the prophet of God. And Elisha is just, he's just a student. He's got a teacher. He's got a man of God. Elijah is the one who, who knew what to do when no yeah, one else yeah, did. He, yeah. he knew where to go when no one else knew where. He knew who to talk to and what yeah. to say to them. Yeah. Elijah is the one that knew. Elijah was yeah. the man of God. In fact, Elijah's name means my God is Yahweh. It's in his name. And in some kind of work of divine providence, God in all of his mercy and all of his wisdom, he yoked Elisha with Elijah in friendship and in mentorship. And they had a father-son relationship. Just like, just like Timothy was, was, was Paul's spiritual son, Elisha was Elijah's spiritual son. And they, they were yoked together. They were yoked together. He looked up to this man. Elijah, Elisha followed Elijah. He served him. He sat at the feet of this prophet and he learned from him and he, he studied him and, and, and he loved him like his own dad. Some sources say they, they were together eight to ten years. Other sources say it was 25 years. Either way, it was a long time. They were with each other a long... This was a deep relationship, a deep friendship that they had. They were un, inseparable. A long time with each other. And now the time has come when Elijah 
the father figure, the mentor, the teacher, the best friend is going to be taken away. You've got to go at it on your own, Elisha. You're going to have to stand on your own two feet, Elisha. You're going to have to stand by yourself. Your, your master is leaving you. Your safety net is going. Your teacher is leaving. It's all about to rest on, on your shoulders, Elisha. Are you ready for the weight of it? Can you handle, can you carry the weight of that glory, Elisha? Are you ready for that? Do you have what it takes? It's funny to me that whenever you're facing a problem, whenever you're struggling with something or you're, you're trying to work your way through a problem, that everybody around you knows what your problem is. And it's even funnier to me that as well-meaning as they tend to be, you know, they, they mean well, they think they're trying to help you, that everybody around you is trying to do you some kind of favor by telling you what your problem is. They think they're doing you some kindness. They think they're helping you by putting a spotlight on your problem. A spotlight. Let's just, let's just shine a bright light on it. Sometimes they're just trying to tell you off. Sometimes they're trying to be nasty at you. You know what your problem is? But, but I don't think that's the most. I think most times they're, they're, they really mean well. I think most of the time they're, they're like these sons of prophets. They think they're helping you. You know, they know you've got a problem. And for some reason, you aren't acting the way they think you ought to act. Or better yet, you're not reacting the way they think you ought to be reacting. You should be freaking out about this. You, you ought to be losing your mind over this. Have you called the pastor yet? Have you called forth the elders of the church? Have they anointed you with oil and laid hands on you? You ought to be having committee meetings. You ought to be, you've got to have a plan because, brother, you've got a problem. You've got a, a big problem. Can't you see how big this problem is? But you're not doing those things, and that confuses them. They're confused by it. So they think that they can help you by reminding you just how big your problem is. See, the thing is, they don't know what you've dealt with. They don't know how you've dealt with it. They didn't see you on all those nights where you couldn't sleep. They didn't see you sitting on the side of your bed at 3 in the morning crying out to God, saying, Lord, I need your help. I don't know what to do, and I don't know, I can't see my way out of this. They didn't see you take that weight off of your shoulders in prayer and, and lay it upon your master. And say, here, Jesus, take this. I, I can't carry it. You are a, a burden barrier and a heavy load sharer. You, you take it. I don't have the strength. They didn't see you do that. What they see is you all gussied up and dressed up for Sunday service. But they don't know what you went through to get there. They don't know what you had to deal with to get there. See, you've got a piece about you that they don't understand. A piece that passes understanding. So they think you must not realize how big your problem is because if you realized how big your problem is, if you really got it, you'd be acting different. And you're not acting the way you ought to be acting, so clearly you don't get how big your problem is. I'm just going to tell you right now, church, people are crazy. <laughs> they cannot stand it when you don't act out in the way they think you ought to act out. <laughs> But seriously, you want to blow somebody's mind? You want to really mess with their mind? Keep your calm in the middle of a storm. You will blow their mind. They will go nuts trying to figure out what is up with you. 
When Jesus and the disciples are on the boat, you remember that? They're on the boat, the storm comes, and, and Jesus is down below, and he's sleeping in the middle of this storm, and the waves are tossing, and the boat is rocking, the lightning's crashing, and the disciples are having a fit. Lord, Lord, don't you know that we're about to die? Don't you care that we're about? Doesn't he see that we've got a problem? And what did Jesus say? He said, oh, you have little faith. And then he looked at the water and he looked at the wind and he said, peace, be still. And the wind obeyed him. Oh, it wasn't that they didn't have a problem. They were, they were in a very real danger. Now, there's on the water in the middle of a, a storm. That's not a safe place to be. They were in a, a, the danger was real. They saw their problem. What they didn't see was what was right in front of them. And when Jesus said, peace be still, and the water settled down and the wind calmed down, it, it did something for the disciples. There was a, a miracle of faith that was worked in them. You know, faith comes by God. Faith, it, it was a miracle. <laughs> Can I say this? Faith comes by the word, and the word was made. Okay, so faith, a miracle of faith is worked when Jesus said, peace be still. And now they see this man as something different than what they saw him before. This is no ordinary man. How is it that he can command the wind and the wind does what he says it ought to do? How This is no ordinary man. Surely this is something different. They didn't see what was right in front of them. Back to Elisha and the sons of the prophets. In Matthew twelve thirty four, Jesus tells us, he says, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So whatever is in your heart, that will find its way out of your mouth. And that is so true. If you listen to people long enough, I promise you they will reveal to you their hearts. Amen. You give them a long enough time to talk, and they will put more of their heart up in front of you, which is one of the reasons why my mama always told me that you ought to listen twice as much as you speak. Yeah. Yeah. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Other translations say out of it are the springs of life. So the, the river of your life flows from whatever is in your heart. So have you ever noticed how that people who always have problems always have problems? It, it seems to me that they're like a magnet for drama and conflict and nothing ever goes how they think it should go. They're never happy. They're never satisfied. They've always got a problem somewhere. Well, whatever your mind is set on, whatever your thoughts are toward, where your, your attention is set, where your satisfaction flows, that's what comes out of your heart. That's the object of your worship. That's the trajectory of your life. I'm going to tell you the idolatry of worship, problem worship, the idolatry of problem worship cripples Christian testimonies. It cripples Christian lives because they worship their problems. I can hear them singing, My problem is real. It's so real in my soul. Pass me not, oh dreadful problem. Hear my faithless cry. They're worshiping their problem. What a mighty problem we serve. You know, Elisha, you don't know you've got a problem. Don't you realize your master is leaving you today? 
Can't you see the size of your problem, Elisha? You ought to be trembling. You ought to be shaken in your boots. Elisha, don't you understand how big this problem is? And church, I'll tell you, we're all, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. Can I ask a question? When are we going to stop bowing down and worshiping at the feet of our problems and start worshiping our God? I don't, I don't know what it is about some people, but there are so many people out there who just love their pain. They, they've embraced it. They won't let go of it. Pain has become their new normal. They're comfortable in their problem. And, and whether or not they know it, whether or not they're aware of it, they nurture their pain. They, they exalt their problem to such a degree they can't even see God behind it. They magnify their problem. They exalt it above anything else they can see. Church, quit magnifying your problem. Start magnifying God. Start magnifying God. I've learned that the bigger the problem is, the bigger God has to be to solve it. The bigger my problem, the bigger my God has to be to solve it. The more they keep shouting cancer at me, the bigger my God has to be to solve it. The, the more they lay me off of work, the more my God has to do to solve the problem. I don't know about your God. Maybe he's a little God. Maybe your God's afraid of the C word. Maybe your God can't handle addiction. Maybe your God can't handle your big problems. But I'm here to tell you, church, the God I serve is a big God. He's a great big God. My God spoke and the stars went to attention. My God spoke and, and the world was formed. He breathed and man took his first breath. Every knee will bow at the mention of his name and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. My God is big. My God is real. He he is real in my soul. If you're not careful, church, those outside voices that come at you, those well-meaning sons of the prophets who mean well, those, those well-intended Christians who come at you, you'll start listening to them and you'll let them get in your spirit and you'll get your spirit defeated before you ever have to face your giant. Before you ever stand in front of the giant, you'll walk up to him defeated. I know that we're already weak in the flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is, is weak. So what happens when the, the flesh is weak and so is the spirit? We're already set up for trouble. Amen. You're not set up for success. You're set up for... So don't let that mess get in your spirit. Amen. What do the lies you do when they come hollering at him? Don't you know you've got a problem? What do you do? He said, I know it. I know it. Hold your peace. That, that's polite Hebrew, ancient Hebrew way of saying, shut up. <laughs> now, I don't mean no disrespect, brother or sister, but it's time for you to shut your yapper. Yeah. You, 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 uh, you're not telling me anything I don't already know, and what you're trying to get me to do is to focus on the wrong thing. Yeah. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've come through. I've already laid this thing down. You can't see what I can see. I can see the Lord fighting for me. So just take your seat and shut up. Elijah is a great example of how to handle those, those outside voices. The question I have, though, is what happens when the outside voices aren't the only ones that are coming at us? More often than not, it's, it's the inside voice that presents the greatest problem to our faith. You know, I, I find it in my own life that when, when, I, when I sense that I'm surrounded from the outside, I, it, it creates in me a certain righteous boldness. 
I, I, can, I can tell when I'm being attacked from the outside and instantly the armaments go up and I, I'm, I'm prepared for battle. Come at me, bro. I'm ready for you. Come at me. But the thing is, it's an altogether different story when the struggle is on the inside, when the attack is coming from within. The voice that you listen to on the inside, the voice that speaks your, your monologue to yourself, that's the voice you hear more than any other voice. And it's the most believable voice you hear because it's your own voice. It's so familiar and so comfortable to you. You're telling yourself a narrative that is built to defeat yourself. It's built to defeat you. You're not good enough. You remember when you were, before you were saved and you were running around doing all that stuff? You know what? They do too. They're not going to listen to you. Who do you think you are? You're nobody. You don't have a last name. You don't even have a first name. Nobody knows you. Who are you? Who's going to come hear you? The last time you stepped out like this, it blew up in your face. You're going to do it again? You ready for that kind of failure? You're not qualified. You're not capable. You got to tell yourself a different story, church. Keep your peace. Elisha said, keep your peace. I know it. Keep your peace. When you start doubting yourself, keep your peace. When you start magnifying the problem, keep your peace. Keep your peace and magnify God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can think or ask. You've got to tell yourself a different story, church. My God is able. The battle belongs to the Lord. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. If God is for me, who can be against me? When the enemy comes in like a flood, my God will raise up a standard against him. I may see him fall at my left or in my right, but it will not come nigh my house. No weapon that is formed against me shall be able to prosper. You've got to change the story and magnify your God over your problem. Let me show you something. I, I told you all this so I, could, so I could tell you this last thing. When Elijah came to Elisha, he found Elisha working in a field. Elisha was plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. Elijah walked by him and he unexpectedly threw his mantle on him. That's how he called him. The Bible says he passed him by. I'm, I'm reminded of when Jesus was walking on the water and it says he would have passed them by. Yeah. He was on his way. Elijah was on his way. He threw his cloak yeah. onto Elisha and Elisha took that and he followed him for either eight years, as little as eight years, and as much as 25 years. A long time. A long time. It was an unexpected call. He was working and he got a call. I wonder if the Lord has ever laid anything on you when you didn't expect it. But this, this call was a, is a promise. He threw that cloak on him, and that cloak was a promise. That was the mantle. That was the prophetic authority. It symbolized the office of prophet. Here, Elisha, here's the office of prophet, but here's a problem with this promise. You, you can't wear that cloak because I have to wear it. As long as I'm here and I'm wearing the cloak, you can't, you can't wear it. In order for you to wear the cloak, in order for you to receive the mantle, I have to go. I have to go. So in giving him the promise, he created a problem. 
Here's the promise. Elisha, God has called you to replace me as, as his prophet. Here's the problem. Elisha, I can't pass this mantle to you if I'm still wearing it. From the moment he threw that mantle on Elisha, there was a problem, a, a dilemma. But there was a promise in the problem. Elisha wasn't about to take his eyes off of that promise. You know, he was told three times, Don't, you need to stay here. He wasn't taking his eyes off that promise. John the Baptist, when he was preaching about the coming Messiah, he had a problem. You know, he was, man, John the Baptist was famous. He was this strange man out in the wilderness who ate locusts and wild honey. And they came from all over the place just to hear him preach. He didn't have to go in the cities. He didn't have to set up a conference center. He didn't have to send out flyers or nothing. They came to him, to the wilderness, to see him preach. He had a following. He had crowds coming to him. And he was preaching the kingdom of God and righteousness and repentance. He was preaching the Messiah. And then the Messiah showed up. And what did John say? I must decrease so that he can increase. I can't worry about my, my Facebook likes and the clicks and the, the YouTube subscribers. I can't worry about the numbers in my crowd or the, the, the dollars in the offering plate. I, I can't worry about whether they're giving me honor or whether they're looking up to me or who's following me. I've got to decrease. I must fade into obscurity so that Christ can be preeminent. I've got to worry about making Christ exalted among the nations. I can't, I can't take that for myself. And I wonder how many of us... How many of us? Because I'm telling you, church, ministry is tough. You pour everything you've got into it. Everything you've got. How many of us would build a ministry as successful as John's and then just let it go so that someone else can be glorified? And here's the the answer to the question, would you, is you better. (laughs) Because if you didn't, you're in it for the wrong reason. And you'll answer. You'll answer. There was a problem, you see, John the Baptist had a problem. The Messiah he was preaching created a problem for his ministry. But there was a promise in the problem. I want to take you to the Old Testament, an Old Testament story. This one's from Sunday school, so most of you should be very familiar with it. In the book of Daniel, we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all remember them? They're the, the Hebrew children. And they stood in, in refusal to worship the, the golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the penalty for that was, we're going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And, and what happened when they, when they refused to bow down before the golden image, uh, they, Nebuchadnezzar ordered them to stoke the fires of the furnace seven times harder than they already stoked it. And it was so hot that when the soldiers went to throw them in, the flames were so out of control it killed the soldiers. So the Hebrew children, they're standing before Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, you can either bow down before me or you can go into this fiery furnace. Now they've got a problem. And it's not a figurative problem. He's not, they're not worried about pride. They're not, it's not a pride issue. It's not a, they're going to hurt my feelings kind of thing. They're going to take my life. My life is at stake. We got a problem. And in the middle of their problem, what they say to Nebuchadnezzar, they said, you know, you can throw us into that furnace. But my God is able. He is able to deliver me. And if he doesn't deliver me, if for some reason he decides to stay his hand and he doesn't deliver me, we still won't bow down to him. Because there is one God that is worthy of my praise. There is one God above all others. He alone is worthy of my praise. And him alone will I worship. 
He stuck with him, stuck with the Lord to the bitter end. And, and what happened? They throw him in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and he says, didn't we throw three men in there? Yeah. Weren't there three? They say, yeah, there were three. Well, I see a fourth man walking. There was a promise <laughs> in the middle of their problem. <laughs> in the middle of their problem. Let me show you one more thing and I'll close. In Matthew 23, 24, 13. Jesus says, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Mm. Now look at the language that he uses, endure, endure. You don't endure easy, church. You don't endure leisure. You don't endure comfort. You sit back and let those things happen. You float down the river of leisure and comfort. You don't endure that. That's not endurance. Endurance is swimming upstream. Endurance is going against the current. It's pressing in the crowd. Endurance is running with all your might until you can't run anymore and your legs are burning and your side is splitting and you're gasping for breath and your sweat is running down your brow but you can see the finish line and you say, if I can just get to the finish line, if I can, I can see the prize, I'm going to press toward the mark of the prize. That's, in, that's endurance. Endurance has not come easy. Endurance is not something that you just lay back and let happen. It is a press. It is a press. And Jesus said, in this world, church, in this world, you're going to have problems. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's a promise in the problem. You're going to have problems, but I've overcome the world. Elijah had to endure. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but uh, when Elijah spoke to Elisha in, in 2 Kings 2, he told him to stay behind in the passage that we, led, that we read. He said, stay behind once before they went to Bethel. He said, Elijah, you stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. And uh, Elisha said, no, I'm, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to go with you. As the Lord liveth and as you live, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to leave you. The Lord has sent me, Elisha. He sent me to Bethel. He didn't send you. He sent me. You stay here. No way. I'm going with you. And then again, when they were at Bethel, Elijah comes out and he says, Elisha, you stay here because God has sent me to Jericho. God sent me to Jericho. He said, no, no, I'm not. I'm not staying here. I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going. As the Lord lives and as you live, I'm staying with you. And then a the third time, 2 Kings 2, verse 6, Elijah told him, stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said the same thing. As the Lord lives, as I so lives, I will not leave you. And they went on. I'm not leaving you, Elijah. I put everything I've got in you. I burned the plow. I killed the ox. I said goodbye to the family. I haven't looked back. There's nothing I want to go back to. This is where I want to be. I want to be right here. I want to be right here in your service, in the service of my... And where you go, that's where I'm going to go. Where you lead, that's where I'm going to follow. I will endure with you until the end. I'm knitted to you. You're my teacher and my best friend. Where you go, I go. If you skip down to verse 9, and it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. Tell me what you want, son. Because you've earned it. You stuck with me. You endured until the end. You, you, you could have set yourself up. You, you were plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. You had plenty of land. You had plenty of servants. You, you could have set yourself up. You could have said goodbye to me a long time ago and been good. Lived a good life, but you hung out with me. You stuck with me. You endured to the end. What shall I do for you, son? 
seek you first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added. We focus, focus on that last part, all these things. But he said, seek first. Seek first. Seek first. See, I couldn't give you the promise, son, until you had gone through the problem. All you want is the oil of anointing, but you can't have the oil of anointing if you're not willing to go through the press. You aren't willing to come under the pressure it takes to produce the oil. Can I just say this? The, the promise necessitates the problem. The promise requires the problem. God can't say, I can't be your healer, church, if you're never sick. I can't be your provider if you never suffer any lack. I can't be your defender if you're never under attack. So quit freaking out because someone comes up against you. Do you want a defender or do you want to do it yourself? I can't fight for you if you're never in a fight. Yes, it is, brother. You cannot know him in the fellowship of his suffering if you have not suffered with him for a while. For when you suffer with me for a while, you will reign with me. You can't have your crown without your cross. See, the promise is in the problem. The promise requires the problem. I want to remind you this afternoon, church, that God is, my God is real. He's so real in my soul. God is, and the word says, He is a rewarder of those that diligently, He is a rewarder of those that diligently a rewarder of those that what is it diligently that's not something that you put off and take on it's not like your sunday jacket you can't take it off when you get home and put it back on next week it's not like your shoes that you change with every outfit this is something that is diligent it's all the time when you go down to the bed at night when you wake up in the morning diligently in the breakfast hour at the lunch hour at the dinner hour diligently every hour of every day i need thee oh i need thee every hour I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior. Every hour, in all your ways, acknowledge him and everything you do. Do it all for the glory of God. Diligently, he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I want to encourage you, church. I want to reassure you that God is able. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can think and ask. Whatever it is. Jesus said, cast your cares upon him. I told you he's a, a burden bearer and a heavy load sharer. Psalms 55, 22, I'll close with this. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Thanks be to God.